Church, this morning we're starting a series on the life of a man who exhibits for us a lot of what we need to be or become and will aid us in realizing what Christ made us to be in light of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are masterpieces in the making. I want us always to remember that at the point we believe we've arrived is the moment we realize we are not humble enough to arrive. It's important that we remember that that we are constantly in process and God is putting us in situations that will grow us and he is expecting things of us that will grow us if we'll simply be obedient and do those things. So that's kind of where we're landing today. We're going to be talking about this person, Peter, uh, for quite some time, probably six weeks, I believe it is. And I would love it if you would journey with me. And I want you to realize something. The journey's not going to be easy. You have heard me say on a couple of occasions uh, that it's not good enough to just be a church member. Now, if we were church members the way church membership was to be in the first century, it'd be just fine. But that's not, not kind of how we do church. We do church a little differently uh, than they did back then. We think a little differently because we're not martyrs for the cause right now. Well, you're going to find out in a moment that you can be. But our life is quite different than it was in the first century. But the expectations have not changed a bit. Today we're going to climb into one of the hardest topics, and that is we're going to look at Peter at the point he denied Christ. If you've got an outline, I'd love it if you'd take it out of your Bibles, take them out. Denial is a pretty dangerous thing. I know that uh, there's a story of a police officer pulls this guy over because he had saw some kind of erratic driving this guy was doing. The policeman got him pulled over and he said, you're going to have to take a breathalyzer test. The guy said, I can't do that. The policeman said, why not? He said, well, I'm an asthmatic. I could die on the highway. Officer said, well, I'll need, I'll need for you to take a blood test then. He said, I can't do that. Police officer said, why can't you do that? I'm a hemophiliac. I could bleed to death. The officer then said, you're going to have to walk this straight line. The guy said, I can't do that. Police officer said, why can't you walk a straight line? He said, because I'm drunk. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> that's a dumb story that means nothing to this sermon, but I wanted to tell it so desperately. <laughs> denial is a desperate thing especially if you're denying the person, the person that has the authority to do with you as he chooses I want you to keep that in mind as we move forward and we're going to do this swan dive into the ditch of denial and I hope you'll go swimming with me a little bit because it's vitally important there are some promises and there are some outcomes if we choose to deny Christ now let me make sure you understand something denial is, the, denial is listen closely I want to make sure I say this very understandably Denial is the home run of hypocrisy. It is the home run of hypocrisy. When we deny Jesus, we score for the opposing team. When we deny Jesus with other people, Satan's high-fiving the demons around him. Because our primary responsibility is to make the name of Jesus known. And when we degrade the name of Jesus because we won't speak that name, the world says this Jesus cannot be a reality because these people say that he changed their lives. They'll never be the same because of this Jesus. He has brought them peace, eternal understanding, and a peace that could come in no other fashion. That is, I'm at peace with myself, knowing I'll be with God someday. At the point that we deny Christ, we disown the one who died so that we could live. It's like you were in battle and the brother took the bullet for you, and he comes to see you in some unimaginable way, and you say, I never met that guy. That's what it's like to deny Christ. Now, if you're really bummed right now, I want you to realize that one of the people that was closest to Jesus while he was on planet Earth 
the apostle Peter denied Christ. I mean, Peter was one of Jesus' best friends. Peter was the guy that when the uh, soldiers came to take Jesus to be crucified, he grabbed a sword and wanted to fight for him. Jesus had 12, but he had three. Peter was one of those closest brothers to him, Peter, James, and John. Jesus gave them a lot more attention than the rest. I mean, this was a guy that Jesus had done a lot for. And yet in a two-hour period, he denied Jesus three times. Before we get into the passage, let me just give you the context. It's hours before the event that Jesus told, hours before this event, Jesus had told his disciples that one of them would deny him. And Peter, being the boisterous guy he was, a lot of people believe that Peter was older than Jesus and was the oldest of the group of 13, which included Jesus. And so Peter was always trying to bail Jesus out. Isn't that funny? He's trying to bail out the Son of God. But we find over and over and over again, he jumps into the middle of it all. Jesus told him that there would be someone who would, obviously, turn his back on him. And Peter immediately says at this dinner, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus told him the truth. I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter pushes back. This guy just can't keep his mouth shut. Have you ever met a person like this? No matter who's talking to him, they've always got to push back. And I've noticed the people who push back often fall away. Have you ever noticed that? They're big talkers, but not big doers. And here's what he says. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Jesus has been taken by the Roman soldiers. He's been beaten. They're in a public place. Peter's at the campfire. This takes place between 1 o'clock and 3 3 o'clock in the morning. But let's keep this in mind because this is very personal. If we truly believe that Jesus is a person, that the Holy Spirit is a person, that God is a person, you want to know more about that when we get into this sermon a little more, that these are not just concepts and doctrines, but literal beings. In fact, far more than that, they are God If we keep this in mind, one of the most saddening moments in human history was after Jesus denied, Peter denied Jesus three times, they made eye contact. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This morning we've got a young brother that's going to come read our scripture. Tay, would you come for us, please? Tay Hall is going to read our passage this morning. Tay, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Yes, if you want to step right up here, my brother. Was that great or what? Let's thank Tay. Thank you, brother. You know, I think we need to kind of do a little defining of uh, what it means to deny Christ because in our world, we don't normally get in the situation where Jesus is there and we're there and we just basically say we don't know him. So let me give you kind of a little definition of mine, kind of some descriptors that might be helpful. When a conversation opens the door for us to say whose we are, And we are overcome by waves of awkwardness and embarrassment, so we remain silent. We've denied Jesus. 
When world religions come up in conversation and we remain silent or bail on what is true, that Jesus is the only way to God, we've denied Jesus. When the opportunity arises to speak the name of Jesus or tell his story and we change the subject or divert attention from Jesus for reputation's sake, we've denied Christ. When someone asks us what we believe or if we're a Christian and we don't proudly tell them that Jesus saved us, we've denied Christ. Bottom line, anytime God creates a scenario through which we can tell the Jesus story or speak his name and we remain silent, fudge on who he is and what he's done for us, or straight up say we're not Christ followers, we've denied Christ. And let me make something perfectly clear so there's no confusion here. I've noted that I struggle with this personally, so I'll be very vulnerable with you and say that I will sometimes fudge And rather than speak the name of Jesus, speak of my church or my religion or the things I do, but never speak the name of Jesus. My brothers and sisters, there's only one one name and one word through which people can be saved, and that name is Jesus. We must speak of Jesus. As we climb into this passage a little bit, um, I want you to realize, first of all, that if you've been with Jesus, people know it. Take note of what happened to Peter. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl, the lowest of the low, came to him, and she said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. So, he's nailed already, right? So he changes locations, we'll talk about it in just a minute. And another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Keep in mind that if you've been with Jesus, normally people know it. Now, it may not be that you've ever spoken his name, but maybe at work or at school or college or where you play golf with the guys or you fish with some guys or you go shopping with some people. If you've ever mentioned church or a Sunday event you can't attend because you've got something going on at church or anything that you've mentioned that leads them to understand that you are probably a Christian, They're waiting every time a kind of conversation that I described a few moments ago comes up to see how you respond. And as hard as it may be, our response will determine one of two things for them. It'll either determine which category that we fall in of two categories. We fall into the category of hypocrite or Christ Christ follower. Listen, you are either in those moments exposing them to Jesus or you're exposing yourself as a hypocrite. There is no middle ground. Because once you've established that you're a person of Christ, people are watching. People are watching. The second thing I want you to realize is this. Denial comes in two forms. What we find here is Peter was verbal in his denial. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He is just blatantly out there. I don't know what you're talking about. You say, you say that I, know, I don't know what you're talking about is what he tells this girl. He's basically claiming ignorance. So we we do this when we insinuate or say things like, there are probably lots of ways to God. Or a good God wouldn't send people to hell. You see what we're doing? We're diverting attention from the reality of who Jesus is. Or you might say, I'm not like those fanatics who talk about Jesus and church and all that stuff. I'm not one of those guys. You see, we can verbally state that we are in denial. Or he also said in the other setting, I don't know the man. He straight up just said, I do not know Jesus. When we say that or anything like that, 
We're denying Christ. And then there's the silence. We can just simply be silent. When the opportunity arises and we just remain silent, we're denying Christ. There's a great moment when two of Jesus' apostles went before the court because they had been sharing Christ in a public place and they were fed up with what they'd been doing because they were seeing this huge movement and the Pharisees got real jealous. When they brought him before the Pharisees, their response when told never to speak of Jesus again was this, and maybe this is a verse we should all memorize. This is what they said to these guys who had the power and authority to punish them, imprison them, do whatever they want to do with them. Here's what their response was, these two apostles. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Listen, if Jesus has transformed our lives as much as we say he has, it's kind of hard not to speak of what we have seen and heard. Imagine if you had to go back to the man or woman you once were before knowing Jesus. Wouldn't you want to speak of the wonderful person who came into that life and transformed you in an instant and gave you eternal life? Wouldn't you? When I was in high school, there was a guy named Bill Phillips. I'll never forget him. He was a, he was a Methodist pastor's son. He played on the football team. He was in the choir. He would be the all-American boy except for one thing. He would not remain silent about Jesus. No matter what. When he did a speech, he did a speech about Jesus. In the hallways, he witnessed other students. On an ongoing basis, Bill Phillips was the person that I longed to be. But because of my embarrassment, my longing to be loved more than to be Jesus' disciple, on multiple occasions, someone would come to me and say, aren't you a Baptist pastor's kid? How come you're not more like Bill? And my response was set in my heart so that I knew exactly what I was going to say. And my response was, I'm not one of those fanatics. I've said this to you before, let me say it again. If you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ in today's culture, the only way to be that is for people to see you as a fanatic. Because speaking the name of Jesus is fanatical in our culture today. We have to decide what we're going to do. Third thing I want you to capture is this. I hope you really embrace what I'm about to say to you because we see it in this passage and it's so very true. And if we can catch ourselves in the first stage, we can probably keep ourselves from going even further down the slippery slide of denial. Denial is progressive. I mean, once you've denied Jesus, you must continue to cover up, cover up more boldly. What we see in this passage is this. The first time Peter denies Christ, he simply says, I don't know what you're talking about. No emphasis, no strong words, just I don't know what you're talking about. The second time he denies Jesus, he says, he denied it again, listen closely, with an oath. I don't know the man. What he really did, if we were to look at the original languages, he basically said, and listen to what he did. He basically said, I swear to God, I don't know him. He took God's name in vain to make certain no one would think that he was a man that knew Jesus. And then we get to the third time, he denies Christ, and he says, Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. 
When Peter calls down curses on himself, he is calling on God as his witness and pronouncing death on himself at God's hand if his words are not true. It was progressive. Peter denied, then he denied more vehemently, then denied outrageously. That's what Peter did in this passage. Listen, once you've denied Jesus in a small way, you're forced to continually up your game so that people will believe you. I kind of see four uh, sequences to this in my time, a kind of a sequential pattern uh, as I've struggled with some of these things myself in years past. The first is silence. We just don't say anything about Jesus. We're just silent. When others speak of their belief system or someone asks us about something, we just remain silent. The conversations group people around the, you know, the water fountain at work or the workroom or whatever, and we just don't say anything. We don't get involved in the conversation. But when we realize that people are wondering about us, then we move to diversion. We just change the subject. This is probably where most of us live. It's easier to change the subject and move on and not have to think and talk about it. But then the third stage seems to often be objection. Basically, we say that we object of Christians who speak of Jesus. But as I mentioned earlier, I'm not one of those fanatics. I'm not one of those guys. No, 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 don't think I'm like that. I don't want you to think I'd ever be that guy. So we object to the person. Listen close to what we do. We object of the person who is doing what Jesus called us to do. And make him to look out like a, a crazy man rather than to look at him like he's the model for us to follow. We object. And then finally, if we're not careful, we submit. We move to submission. We get to this point, it's actually idol worship. We've set aside King Jesus, and we bowed down to the God of political correctness. Our new idol is comfort and being politically correct. Listen, once we've started down the slippery slope of denial, we have two options. We can repent before God and begin to speak up, or we can continue to deny more vehemently. Those are the only two options. Because we're going to have to up our game in order for people to believe that we are moving away from this fanaticism. Let me pause for just a moment. I can feel there's a little awkwardness in the room. Um, And I can sense what you're feeling. I I know what you're feeling because I feel it myself even as I'm preaching this sermon. As I was preparing, it was even more awkward. Uh, It's funny, for those of us that preach, um, some sermons people come up after and go, oh, thank you, you gave me great comfort. Sometimes sometimes they don't come up at all, and you know that you weren't very comforting. Might I just say to you that Christ didn't call us to look at parts of his word and preach those only. When God raises the bar, listen closely, when God raises the bar, he does it for his glory and our good. He does it for his glory and our good. As we begin to live for him, there's a phrase I'll use again in just a moment. This came to my heart uh, some years ago when I was getting ready to do a men's retreat and we were talking about this very thing. And the phrase has never left my mind. No one's heart will ever be fully alive till they commit themselves to a king and a kingdom worth dying for. No one's heart will ever be fully alive till they commit themselves to a king and a kingdom worth dying for. What I'm saying is this. God gave us a kingdom and gave us a king. And all of us that live in great comfort in the midst of our calling find ourselves very comfortable 
But the Christian life was never meant to be comfortable. It was meant to be an adventure. It was meant to be an adventure. As we get into Peter's life more and more and more, you'll understand that even better. But as we're journeying this morning together, I, just join me if you could, as best you possibly can, in the midst of your discomfort to remember this, spiritual growth begins with discomfort. It begins with the knowledge of a, a call to obedience, and then not just hearing about it, but doing it. And that's when the adventure begins, as we move in those directions. So let me continue on. Also, every location is a denial optional setting. So we find Peter, he's here in verse 69, he was sitting in the courtyard. Now, once he was found out and exposed, verse 71 tells us that he went out to the gateway. He was trying to escape this perception of him being a follower of Jesus. He was trying to move around and get away is what he was trying to do. Do you know why you can't escape a denial optional setting no matter where you are? Because wherever you go, you are. Wherever you go, you are. If Christ transformed your life, you became a Christian in that moment, and you can't take that off. You can't put it on when you want to and take it off when you'd like. It is going to be with you forever. Even when you're in heaven, you are a Christ follower, so it's going to be with you no matter what. So if you're a WKU fan, a UK fan, or a U of L fan, you are that no matter where you are, right? You can't take that off. That's the way you're made. At least in Kentucky, it certainly is. So if you're a UK fan in a room full of WKU fans talking basketball, you have a denial option, right? Speak of UK or remain silent about UK. If you're a WKU fan in a room full of UK fans talking basketball, you have a denial option. Speak of WKU or remain silent about WKU because you're a WKU fan no matter where you are. And if you're a U of L fan like me in a room full of WKU and UK fans talking basketball, well, you, you may just want to change the subject. That may be your best option. All you UofL fans, you can, again, you can email ed.gent. Ed. Sadly, we're much more apt to speak of our ball team than we are Jesus. We're, we're much more apt to fight for and speak out about our ball team than we are our Jesus. That might tell us something. That might tell us something. I want you to realize this. Denial has consequences. It has serious consequences. Denial is a devastating business. Here's what Jesus said before sending his apostles off to serve him. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father is in heaven. Then he went on to say this to them, Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's a warning and there's a promise. The warning is this, If you don't confess me as your Lord on earth, then I will not intercede for you when you stand before God at judgment. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, What Christ is to you on earth, that, will, that you will be to Christ in heaven. And he went on to say, it was so important, he said, I shall repeat the truth. Whatever Jesus Christ is to you on earth, you will be to him in the day of judgment. If he be dear and precious to you, you will be precious and dear to him. If you thought everything of him, he will think everything of you. Now we shouldn't be surprised. 
In Romans 10, 9, we, say the, we see the, one of the expectations in order to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Now, I want to throw a real pause button on here, and if I've lost you, come back to me right now. Some of y'all are thinking, is Pastor Rick telling me right now that if I've denied Jesus, that I'm not a follower, I'm not a Christian, that I'll not make it into heaven? I am not saying that. I am not saying that. If you truly received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I am not suggesting you're going to hell for denying Christ. I would say this to you, that what comes out of our mouths is birthed in our hearts. If you consistently deny Jesus Christ and you have no conviction for it, then you need to be asking an important question, was I truly saved? I could not deny my father, my earthly father, in front of him again and again and again and again without sensing some level of conviction for that because he means so much to me. Be very, very, very careful about your eternal salvation. A great marker is what you feel about your Jesus and how you'll speak of him. Because if he transformed your life, as these apostles said, I can't help but speak of him because of what he's done for me. But there's a promise. I love the promise. So there's a warning, and here's the promise. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Say, let me hear that again. Let me say that again. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And might I just suggest that's not just dying a physical death, that is being a, a, a physical martyr, but it would also mean dying to self so that you don't deny Christ. I want to show you an image right now on the screen if I could. You may have seen this uh, some years ago. Uh, these are Christian brothers of ours who were unwilling to deny Christ. There was a certain sect of folks who took them captive, and moments after this image was taken, these men were beheaded. They were beheaded because they would not deny Jesus Christ. They were given full option. If you'll deny this Jesus, we'll let you go. They said, no way. No way. I will not deny my Jesus. You know, we'll probably never face that kind of denial. I can't imagine it in our lifetimes, us being placed in a situation like this. But I would say to you that we face another kind of denial that may be more devastating because when we remain silent about our Jesus, the world says this Jesus can't be a reality. After seeing this image in a church service used by another pastor in a sermon, I was leading a small group that we were discussing uh, denial, as some of you all will do next week in your Sunday school classes and small groups. During our meeting, as we looked at this and started discussing the martyrdom of so many people around the world, them losing their lives because they would not deny Jesus, I will never forget what one of the men in that room said in that small group setting. He said that in other countries, these people fear the lifted sword, but we fear the lifted eyebrow. We fear the lifted eyebrow. Our martyrdom is most likely going to be emotional martyrdom. 
It's going to be verbal martyrdom. It's going to be the person who's kind of set aside by the crowd when they head off to go get some drinks after work. It'll be the guy who others don't always invite to lunch because he's just one of those strange Christian guys. It's going to be the guy who sometimes his buddies will joke with him if they've known him a long time and love him no matter what. They're going to joke with him about his faith. And our, our martyrdom will probably be emotional martyrdom. But it is martyrdom nonetheless. I like the promise more than the warning. I will give you life. Not just life, abundant life on earth, but eternal life in heaven. And your rewards will be great. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about the rewards that are offered us as we serve Christ. Just remember this, that Jesus died for us. Shouldn't we live fully for him? Now, for those of you that are just like really going, oh, I just feel awful right now. <laughs> you know the other beautiful thing about Jesus is he always gives grace. Is that fantastic or what? If you've been denying Christ this morning, I want you to realize that Jesus gave Peter grace. I'm going to read some passages to you. I'm going to let the word speak for itself. No, let me, let me pause for a moment. Let me do something else first. Some of y'all may be wondering, how is it that I can be this courageous person? It has nothing to do with courage. It has, be, has to do with being filled with the Spirit. Let me say that again. It has nothing to do with courage. Everybody always says, could I be courageous enough? You can't depend on yourself. Have you realized this? You have to depend on a force much greater than you, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes with this because I want you to capture with me. It's not about you drumming up enough courage. There are five times in the New Testament when people needed to be bold for Christ, and in every instance it said that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, not that they chose to be courageous. We find it first in Acts 4. It's a wild time again. It's, um, Peter has just received the Holy Spirit. He is preaching. Uh, the elders have drawn him, uh, called him to come to stand before them because of his preaching. And uh, they say, what, by, by what power do you do this? And he says, it says, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, he goes on to tell them that they're the ones who crucified Jesus. And that Jesus offers them grace. He very boldly speaks of Christ. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. After Peter and John were set free in this moment, what happens? They go to a place where there are other believers, and the other believers realizing the importance of speaking of Jesus and sharing the gospel, they begin to pray for boldness. Amazingly, the scripture doesn't say that they, that they receive boldness. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It was the Holy Spirit filling them that gave them what was necessary to speak of Jesus. Stephen, for those of you that are deacons, the first deacon group that ever was put in practice in the new church, in the early church. Stephen went before the leaders and he was ultimately martyred. And he speaks vividly and boldly of Christ and what Christ has done and how they have murdered Christ. How do we know where he received his courage from? The passage says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. But what did Jesus say? Did Jesus have anything to say about this? He did. Jesus, in the passage I just mentioned, speaks of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When you're in a place where you've got to speak of Christ, you don't need to prepare. 
If you're walking in Christ and close to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to say. You will just speak and the words will come. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us one of the greatest directives the church has ever known. What is it? You will go therefore and make disciples, right? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. He also reminded them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. My brothers and sisters, when you received Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. In these times, when you need to speak of Christ, don't depend on yourself. Depend on the Holy Spirit to speak the words through you. Depend on the Holy Spirit to speak the word through you. You will, in that moment, if you will pray and allow Christ to do it in you, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say it differently. You'll be drenched in the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, one of the great uh, thinkers of our time, he said these words, You may be walking along a country road where there may be a slight drizzle, but because you haven't got an overcoat, you go on walking through this drizzle, and eventually you get thoroughly wet. But it has taken some time because it was only a slight drizzle. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you're striving to walk with Christ and living for Him and wanting to say the right things, you'll be drenched. He goes on to say, but then you may be walking along the same road at another time and suddenly there's a cloudburst and you are soaking wet in a matter of seconds. It is raining in both cases, but there's a great difference between a gentle drizzle, which you scarcely observe, and a sudden cloudburst which comes down upon you. In my lifetime, when I have spoken of Christ in difficult settings, I have noticed that if I would pause and say, please fill me, I didn't prepare what I was going to say, I didn't look in the book of apologetics, and the Holy Spirit gave me words that were beyond my comprehension. I bet a lot of people in this room at some point have had to speak in a Sunday school class or someplace else, and the Holy Spirit said words through you, and you thought, I ought to write that down. That's really good. That didn't come from me, but I realized that was good. Let him speak through you. Where I started to go a few moments ago was this. If you've denied Jesus, realize Jesus' grace. Peter denies Jesus three times. Do you know how devastating it must have been for Peter to hear of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I mean, we think it was a celebratory time. It ultimately was. But to know he would have to look into the eyes of Jesus another time after looking into the eyes of Jesus after he denied him. That was his last connection with Jesus prior to the resurrection. But Jesus is such a person of grace. We get to John 21 and we read this. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is after the resurrection. Jesus with Peter. Do you love me more than, the, more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus then said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus then said to him, tend my sheep. Then Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Just as Peter denied Jesus three times, 
Jesus gave him three opportunities to remind Jesus of his love for him. That's great grace. Often we talk about this in sermons, but never get to what follows. Jesus then goes on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, I love this. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The exact words that he said to Peter when he called him to be one of his apostles, he repeated again. In essence, he said, three times you denied me, three times you remind me of your love for me. You're going to die for me a martyr's death as I died a martyr's death for you. But Peter, I want you to know something. You get a restart, man. <laughs> you get a restart. I ask you to follow me once. Follow me now. We'll start this whole game over. And some of us need to start the whole game over this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great grace. Forgive us for the times that we have remained silent about you, dodged a conversation about you, moved away from your name so that we could talk about something religious but that was not your heart. Father, let us this morning have a restart. For those who deserve it, and you know who they are, I pray that they'll accept your great gift of restart. For some of you in this room, you've heard us talking about this, and you thought, man, what a, what a life. I'm not a Christian, but it sounds to me like this Jesus got something going on. He does. <laughs> Eternity, he's got going on. And he loves you more than you could ever know. While his calling is a high calling, his eternity is the highest of all opportunities, and that is to be with him in heaven forever. If you've never received Christ as your personal Savior this morning, you have that opportunity. You simply have to, first of all, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that, hang with me to the next question. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead? If your answer to that question is yes, then you're almost to the place of being willing to ask him into your life and become a Christian. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You died, He resurrected from the dead. Are you willing to repent? That means turn away from a life you're living right now that doesn't bring glory and honor to Him through your actions and activities or maybe through your silence. Are you willing to do your best to live for Him the kind of life He calls you to? You won't be perfect, none of us are. But are you willing to do your best? If, if, you're, if you believe Jesus Son of God, died, resurrected from the dead, you're willing to repent and turn and walk as best you can in His ways. And if you've never prayed to receive Christ, if you believe those things and repeat this prayer after me, if you believe those things and pray it sincerely to God, this morning He'll change your life. Father, I realize I'm a sinner. And I know only you can forgive my sins. 
I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on a cross and resurrected from the dead for me. I will do my best to live for him from this point on. Please forgive my sins. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Amen. If you leave your heads bad and your eyes closed, just a moment. If you pray.